Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. My name is Sean Tatro, and today with my girlfriend and co-host Leah Diana, we will be winding back the reel to 1978 where a famous fashion photographer develops the disturbing ability to see through the eyes of a killer, in the eyes of Laura Mars. Let's get into it. In a world of breathtaking models and the beautiful people, Academy Award winner Faye Dunaway is photographer Laura Mars. Her work? the subject of controversy. Tommy Lee Jones is Detective John Neville, intrigued by her photographs for his own reasons. These are police photographs. They are strictly our own material. They were never published anywhere at all. So my question is very simple. Why am I photographed so much like yours? That's right. Somewhere between the sensations of high fashion and the precise form of her art, lies another dimension, unexplored, unexpected. Unwillingly, Laura Mars becomes a witness to a series of murders watching through the eyes of a killer. Eyes of Laura Mars. When it happens, I can't see what's in front of me. What I see is that. Think of that camera as the eyes of the killer. Drawn by a mystery. Do you understand? Their lives converge. Sensual, dazzling, provocative. His world, demanding, dangerous, violent. This is incredible. In the midst of all of this, I, I can't stop thinking of you. I know, I know. What, what is going on? I don't know. I mean, it's completely unprofessional of me to be walking with you in the woods, I'll tell you that. I don't that. have time for this. I mean, I'm supposed to be catching a killer. <laughs> Pursued by visions, she is linked to a killer. At any place, at any time, a witness. At any moment, a victim of her own eyes. No! 
ages of Laura Mars. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers! Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare of insane murder. From the depths of hell. back again what did we watch what are we drinking what are we doing here one we watched eyes of laura mars two we're drinking extremely mediocre coffee and three i'm keeping a cat away from your camera ah we are well into having this little treasure in our lives now and she is more of a pain in the ass every she's day. adorable she's six months and if people who've ever had kittens they're curious as all hell but they're teething so she is constantly i don't know if you can see she's constantly biting us and scratching and playing and i've owned cats for years so this is normal but in a tiny little apartment where there's nowhere to hide from her no doors no nothing all of our important stuff is high up or hidden and when the cameras come out, <laughs> we uh, have to use the old water bottle trick. <laughs> she's... God, she's so sweet. I love her. She is sweet when she's... she's like, no, she's just cleaning herself. She's being cute. Ten seconds, she's going to eat a wire, and I'm going to have to spray it again. Uh, but uh, today, we watched Eyes of Laura Mars. Yes. Um, this film... What originally was released on August 2nd, 1978. Um, it was directed by Irvin Kirshner, who most people, most film lovers will know from, uh, he was the director of Empire Strikes Back. I did not know that. Yes. Uh, he also directed RoboCop 2, Never Say Never Again, the Bond film um, with Sean Connery. Wait. Ivan Kirshner. Irvin. Irvin Kirshner directed. <clears throat> Sorry, folks, wrong pipe. Um, directed Empire. Yes. Lucas didn't direct Empire. No. Uh, misconception. Is um, that why it's so much better? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lucas handed over the reins, I think, because he was he was in the middle of. Was it he might doing have, Indiana? It might have had to do with Indiana Jones. He was in the mi middle of a lot of things at that point. So he handed over the reins to um, Irvin Kirshner, but he was still heavily involved as a producer and the writer. Mm. <clears throat> but we're not talking about Star Wars. <clears throat> Don't get us started on Star Wars. Um, so this film, uh, it came from a screenplay by David Goodman. Um who infamously wrote Logan's Run, Straw Dogs. Um, but he co-wrote this film with the one and only John Carpenter. <laughs> Let's get into that. Yes. So this is actually the... Hang on. 
Hmm. Lost my notes. Um, this was actually John Carpenter's first major studio film. Okay. Um, I believe he only wrote this one. Like, it, I don't... Yeah, it did say written or story by John Carpenter. Yeah, he came, he came up with the story. He didn't direct or do the music on this one as far as I know. It's Barbara Streisand. He did not mu- do the music. <laughs> you never know. He could be a fan. That that smoke cigarette smoking whiskey token fucking <laughs> asshole does not seem like he is a Barbara Streisand fan. People if surprised. If he is, you. I'm wrong. Um, his original screenplay was actually t- just called Eyes, okay. and I think that's very fitting for the themes in this movie. If it was a John Carpenter film, Eyes would have worked. It's not his, so. This title kind of... Is my opinion written on my face about this film? A little. Yeah, okay. Um, Before we break it down or get into our opinions, uh, this movie was made with a budget of $7 million. Okay. Um, brought in a box office of $20 million. How? So that that's a commercial success. Okay. Um, before we really get into breaking down the movie or anything like that, uh, I want to talk about the cast here. This cast is awesome. Um, so this movie stars Faye Dunaway, Tommy Lee Jones, Brad Dorif, um, Raul Raul Julia. Renee, I will never pronounce this guy's last name right. Uh, Arbor Jonas? He was Odo in Star Trek. In Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. And like Brad Dorff, Chucky, uh, for those who don't know. Um, Excuse me, Wormtail, Lord of the Rings. Take your Chucky asshole shit and get it out of here. Yeah, alright. He was Grima Wormtail. No, not Wormtail. Grima Worm. Wormtail is Harry Potter. It is. Oh my god, guys, I have the 4Ks coming in of Lord of the Rings, and I think I have to send them back because I don't know anything anymore. (laughs) Uh, Tommy Lee Jones' household name at this point. That man looks no different from the 70s than he does today. He still has that, I'm so done with your shit stare. I think he was, Tommy Lee Jones is one of those actors who was cursed with the fact that no matter what, he looks like he's 100 years old. <laughs> he looks like he's pissed. He always looks like he's pissed. He's like in his, what, 30s or 40s in this movie? It has to be in his 30s or 40s. Uh, I well, don't he know did, for sure. When he did um, Men in Black, he was in his 50s. So he has to be 30 in this movie or something like that. That man, like, there's no age. He has so much. I don't know if it's scars. Or I don't know. It's just the way his face is. But it's like his face was already aged. So there was no, there wasn't like, oh, he's letting himself go. No, he's always looked like that. So it's like, oh, okay. No, now he looks like that with a beard. Now he looks like that with white hair. Although his <laughs> hairstyle looks terrible. I hated his hairstyle. Well, it was a very 70s feathery type of look. Uh, Faye Dunaway's hair was feather- feathery. His was not feathery. His was questionable. 
But, I mean, obviously from the opening of this episode here, I take it you didn't enjoy this film. This movie was horrendously boring to me. Guys, this is how boring this movie is. These are my notes. That's it. Oh boy, this is going to be fun. There's nine (laughs) notes. So apparently I'll be carrying this episode. Don't you always? No. (laughs) Um, So we open this movie on a slow zoom out from the eyes of a photograph. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not told who this image is. Uh, We can assume that maybe it's Laura. Uh, But the image starts to slowly shift into negative. And I took that like the what I I analyze everything I watch at this point. So like I took that as signifying like the nightmare that's going to befall this uh protagonist. Mm. Like essentially like throughout this narrative she's going to everything is going to shift toward a dark <coughs> side. I know that from the synopsis she's a photographer, so I took it as the reverse of when you're developing negatives in a dark room, they go from negative to positive, and that's how you have to scale them. This going from positive to negative was like, oh, this movie's going to be lighthearted, but you're in for a ride. So I assumed this was going to be a murder mystery thriller, like it says. I mean, that's what it was to me. This was boring. It was boring. It, it, I know for 78, the material that they were going for is very controversial. But for nowadays, this was like, all right, whatever. It just, you can see where a lot of modern murder mystery movies and like the suspense and stuff and how things play out were taken cues from these older movies. But these older movies, because we have such wild and fantastical rides now, this was, this was boring. Okay, um... I don't think I, Carpenter's I can... story was done justice. No. Um, I think this would have definitely been a very different experience if he had directed himself. Yeah. Um, I think it mu- it likely would have been a l- much faster paced. I think it would have been... Uh, I think he would have taken it places that uh, Kirshner didn't. Yeah. Um... I'm curious, like, just to derail slightly here, I'm curious, like, about your perspective on this film as a photographer. Okay. Because, like, me, I'm I'm a filmmaker. I dabble with photography a bit. I'm trying to get more into it, but you are solely a photographer. Yeah. So, like, approach it. Did you find this character relatable at no. all? Or? No. Honestly, I... I... Faye Dunaway's performance felt so fake to me. I've never really liked her acting, but I've only seen like a couple of movies. So I was like, I didn't like her in these movies. So, you know, she's just not the actress for me. But the fact that she was a photographer did intrigue me on the synopsis of it. Um, And seeing where she was really pushing for a vision for the opening sequence of is of this is um 
first of all, the first scene you see is the first kill, which we find out is the editor of the book that they are publishing, Eyes of, I, um, Eyes of Laura Mars. It's actually a book that they're publishing of all her photography. Now, we see the, oh, we see the opening where the killer kills this woman, and then the next scene is we're going to the release of her photography and of her book. See all these beautiful people mingling. The subject of her photography is interesting and that kind of pulled me in a little bit. She was using these violent images to help these violent and provocative images to sell things. I don't know what she was selling. At one point there was lace mentioned, there was cigarettes mentioned, I think alcohol was mentioned. Yeah. So you could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to do more prov provocative. Which I thought was intriguing because I like provocative art. I always have. To me, there's nothing wrong with the human body, with subject matter that is kind of questionable sometimes. In order to make a stir, make a wave, you've got to do something that'll shock people. Whole point of horror. Yeah. Whole point of horror movies. And uh, seeing John Carpenter's name on this made me go, ooh, ooh, this could be interesting. Well, uh, one note I'd like to make before we get too far from what you were saying is that uh, I really like how this movie kind of just starts you out right in it. it. It literally, you have to run into the film. There is no ease into it. It's boom. All right, figure it out. No, it's not like we start before her visions begin. It's like they're already happening. They've already happened. Yeah. Um, which is, I thought was a really cool approach. Like a lot of the times you have to build up the character first and then all of a sudden it starts happening to them. It's a trend in these older movies where instead of now where they develop these characters and have this arc, you have this nice gentle like this. They literally cut something, pull it out and go here. They don't give you the before or after. They're just like, here's a chunk in the middle. Figure it out, which can be really cool because you're going in going, you're making your own conclusions like, did this woman have trauma in her life before? You know, as you're figuring out the story, oh, is that why? Is that the reason? Is that the reason? And they give you a couple really good twists and turns in this. They do. Yeah. The problem is we've seen them thousands of times before at this point. Right. So going into movies like this for me, where I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a movie fan. I'm not a movie buff. It got a little stale. I was like, all right, well, I know what's happening. Well, to be fair. I mean, this was made in the 70s, 70s yeah. um, but I don't know, like, I kind of, it's because I watch so many movies, but I kind of approach everything now with the mentality of, that, of, like, I'm gonna guess what's, what happens, like, mm -hmm. I've seen this before in some form, no matter what it is, if I ever watch a movie and they show me something I haven't seen, I might have a heart attack. <laughs> because this is true. I, I've seen it all and I think I'm able to separate myself with every experience mm. from all the others. I'm not able but that's the reason why we are working well with this. We both are not going to have the same opinions and when you showed me this one it's oh this is the one we're going to watch next I was like oh okay cool it looks intriguing this is the cover this is very intriguing. And the images on the back are like a terrified Faye Dunaway in all these photos. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is going to be an interesting movie. 
There are five of these <clears throat> photos that never happen. Deleted she's, scenes, probably. She's never holding this. She is never trying to help the situation at the end with this picture is. Yeah. This image never happened. No, there's probably cut scenes and yep. alternate versions of scenes. This never happened with the girls. That never happened with the girls. Like, and I'm looking at it like, I hate it when I get things like this. And it happened with And Soon as the Darkness. The cover for that looked so fucking badass and we went into it blind. We didn't read the synopsis. We knew nothing. Yeah. After watching it, we were both like, this is misleading. This is really cool. See, I don't think this is misleading for the movie at all like yeah know. some I of the images don't happen yeah. but i, I think that's okay. different but once we get into the party scene um we're seeing her work as a photographer i did like her work i liked the boundaries that it pushed yeah. i liked seeing like the vulnerability and the the gruesome of it but i have always liked that that's one of the things that i'm very big on with my photography, I've done a couple of boudoir shots now. And with my photography, I enjoy seeing that element. I don't necessarily want complete nudity, but I want tasteful... What is the word I'm looking for? Elegant. Ugh, class, uh, Classy. That peep. You have a peep into it. It's not a full image. It's a tease. Yeah. I like classic tease. That's where I am. And these were in your face. These were like, oh, oh my God, for the 70s? Oh, these, this, mm. what, what was this rated? This was rated R, right? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, it, the story just didn't, it didn't, <clears throat> it didn't pull me in. Uh, something I'd like to bring attention to, which I sort of noticed pretty early on in this one, was there's like a theme of turbulence. Um, is the best way I can really put it. It's like everything seems slightly hectic and chaotic, and like it, it feels like Laura's life is kind of already in a tailspin. Yeah. At like right when we meet her, um, and this is sort of combined with a, another visual style that I picked up on which was a very Italian style like how so I relate this movie so much to like a giallo film uh, I don't the colors weren't as poppy though not in the colors just in the the camera stop techniques mm. the POV killer POV stuff that reminded me of Jason yeah, Friday the 13th did use that as well. Yeah, but that's what that reminded me of. All Giallo films use it. I and mean, the killer's even wearing the black gloves. Uh, okay, what was the other one we did? Uh, with, pieces? With, yeah, pieces. It kind of had a pieces feel to it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's very similar in that regard. Mm. There's also... Um, the first scene I noticed it in was like it's right after that opening credits like uh, image mm. thing. It cuts into Laura waking up at home. And she wakes up in her bed. It's this big wide shot and you see that her room is lined with mirrors. Mm. Which 
very symbolic. It's very symbolic. It immediately creates this kaleidoscopic effect, and like, um, it almost makes you feel like her world is already fractured, mm. and, but you don't know why. Yeah. You don't know anything about her at this point. Um, and then you're brought into the party scene where it starts to feel like everything is really hectic and uh. There's like this mix of the fast-paced bustle of the photography that world. The reporters go, 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 and the fast pace of like the art world, photography world, go, 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 where she's just trying to wrap her mind about around what her nightmare means because she was woken up out of out of a dead sleep yes. from a nightmare. And then you learn that her, uh, it was you said it the was editor. the editor, was murdered. Yep. And it's like, oh my god, like everything is just so hectic. Right off the bat. And while they're there and she's trying to, like, walk around and mingle before she finds out about the editor, the police have already arrived. They're already questioning people. The assistant, um, Doug? Donald? Donald. Donald, yeah. Donald the assistant, is trying to keep them away from a lot of stuff. Don't disturb the party. Da, 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 da. I was very confused as to what Donald actually was. I don't know if they ever say it. Oh, God, but, they did. At one point, the cops were that were stationed outside of his place watching her. Yeah. They said it. It was her assistant. It's her assistant. Either her assistant or her manager. I thought it was, like, her producer. <coughs> Man, I think it was her... I think, Which would be manager. I think it would be her agent now. Okay. It basically would be her publishing agent or whoever would be in charge of, like, her creatively keeping her on track. Okay. So it would be a PA, manager, whatever it is. Um, Definitely he was trying to keep. PA. No. <laughs> well, not personal assistant more as, like, somebody who's like, okay, Laura, you've got these scheduled, you got this, let's keep you on track, do this, da-da. Like, somebody who, well, his whole job is to f- keep her focused. He seemed very uh, interested in the financial aspect. Mm-hmm. So, like, I kept thinking, oh, he's got to be the... The, the accountant. The, or the yeah. producer. He, like, he's making sure that they're not losing money, essentially. But then he always made sure, like, during the two photo shoots we saw, we saw one out on the streets where the girls are standing in front of a car on fire and then there was one where there was a pool party where she was one of the girls was shooting the guy like these were the two scenarios that we had he was like okay stay focused here do this do this are the girls right like you could see him in the background doing a lot yeah that's why i would say he's more of her like like pa slash manager slash accountant but it also looks like she is an artist that blew up very quickly. Yeah. Like, it seems like, oh, okay, you were nothing, and then boom, like, she's this huge thing. And they're, like, still in the process of, of like trying to promoting get, her Yeah, and like, everything. oh, I'm trying to come to grips with all of this, like, she's got reporters all over her, like, people turning around saying, like, oh, are you aware that, you know, your art is going to basically, I don't know the words back then, but it would translate into, we want to cancel your art because you're showing America violence. Like, oh, well, like I said, it's supposed to make you talk. Like, one of the the images that was shown quite frequently was a woman in, like, panties, no top, with, like, a white shirt covering her, and, like, garters, like, hanging off the bed with a gunshot to her head, and the guy next to her with, like, blood coming off of his head. And it was this image that you were like, what, what happened? What's what's this? And then you find out that that image in there somewhere is something that is being sold. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Now, if you saw that in an advertisement, you were like, oh, my God, look at that. Oh, 
Oh, they're selling panties. I'm going to have to go see what kind of panties these are. This is intriguing. Well, that's, uh, like, I feel like Carpenter made a really good, uh, and I don't know if this was in his original screenplay or anything, mm. but I'm going to assume it is. Uh, I feel like he made a really good choice in when he set this movie. So, like, it's at the, like, perfect time when, A, uh, photography was on the rise it was gaining a foothold in the art mm. world and they mentioned that painting was like people weren't looking for paintings anymore yeah. they were looking for actual photo- photography and it's also at the perfect time in laura's career where she's just gaining traction and like she's not a huge name but she's getting to be one it they're seems still like in, the in the new the york scene, she was getting a lot of attention yeah they're still in the process of like promoting her and like uh because of that the talent she normally works with is gaining more popularity they even talk about the fact Lulu that and Michelle were, they might, were worried that they're they're going to be too expensive for us someday and she exactly. looks at Donald and says you'll figure it out because these are my girls like right. I wouldn't work without my girls and it's it's it, it also has a tone of loyalty versus like making a quick buck which I think is pretty cool too. Yeah. The themes in this, don't get me wrong. The movie itself was boring to me. The themes in it were really good. And the imagery that this had, I do you don't notice the imagery till probably the last twenty minutes and you're like, Oh, mother of God. I wonder if this movie felt boring to you because of the pacing. You know, I'm okay with a slow burn. I've learned from you slow burns are gonna happen. Slow burns are going to happen. Like, a lot of these movies build up very, very slowly. Yeah. Carpenter, I expect, when I see his name, I think the whole knowing that this was a Carpenter-connected film. Um, I think that seeing that it's a Carpenter-connected film, I expected a different level of storytelling. Not a thriller, dry romance. Like... The romance seemed kind of like, I get it for the plot, but yeah, it didn't seem very necessary. Like, to me, it seemed a little like, where is this coming from? Well, I don't think it, I mean, I don't think it felt forced or anything. Like, it, I did. It came in, um, you could tell it was starting to happen almost immediately. Because not right when you meet Tommy Lee Jones. No, character, because he but, pretty much calls her trash. Yeah, but like the next scene where he's he oh he's a cop, like yeah, it's like I think it started there. Like you could see that like all right they were trying to plant a friendly seed there a little bit, hmm. and then like every subsequent scene after that I was like something's gonna happen, like they're gonna when when they're gonna fuck <laughs> when they fuck and they do. Oh, they do. Also, you can tell big name actresses have it in their contract to not show skin. And then the lesser known actresses are just titties and vaginas plastered everywhere. I mean, that's a staple of the industry at oh this point. Oh my god. Like, I would have been like, you know what? You want to know what equality for women is? Faye Dunaway should have showed her boobs. Not because I wanted to see Faye Dunaway's boobs, but I think it's only proper since, you know, we saw five other naked girls. I think boobs. you just wanted to see Faye Dunaway's boobs. I don't. I don't like Faye Dunaway. I don't. No? No. 
Uh, she's she's alright. I was more excited about Brad Dorf and his full luxurious fucking hair Dude. that I wanted. First of all, Baby Dorf, come give me a call. You're hot. Brad Dorf, once again, even in his early career, is incredible. He is. He is incredible in this Why movie. Why doesn't he not have more parts? Like, is he, is Brad Dorf in any of the Alien movies? Yes. Okay. okay. He's in Resurrection. That's my favorite one. We'll fix that. Um, <laughs> is that the wind? Yeah. Oh, it's windy today. I just heard. Uh, um, yeah, Brad Dorif is absolutely great in this movie, even with his the small amounts of moments he has. It was impactful. Very impactful. Because it was the only time when when Donald was on the screen, I was bored with that man. I was absolutely bored, and I have been like questioning the whole time: Was he supposed to be a gay man? I think he was that uh, like seventies metrosexual kind like of, very flamboyant kind of. It confused me because if he was supposed to be okay, not knocking on this. Uh, if he was supposed to be playing a gay or a very like flamboyant character, he should have let it be known through his voice too. He was too. I'm a man, and it, it. I don't know. Some it just threw me off. Like I was like, mm, okay, I'm not really well, connecting with this character. You also have to take into account the fact that this was the 70s, so. True. Being openly gay was still not completely acceptable. No, it wasn't. It was very bad. But and he's in a position of like a power power. So like he kind of has to keep it. See, this is down low. This is what sucks about watching these movies being in 2022. Is like this one is playing in 2022, right? I think so. I think we're still recording 2022. What's wrong with me? Um, but. Like, this is what's the problem being in 2022 watching these films. I'm like, if you're supposed to be gay, be gay! But it's like, uh, Leah? (laughs) The AIDS thing hasn't even happened yet. That was the 80s. Like, like, I always have to remember that, like, men were supposed to be men and women were supposed to be women at this point. But I'm still for, like, go back in time and be like, no, you be your true self. Be who you want to be. You want a nugget of, uh... Little, previous casting for this a little film. Morsel of, yes. Um, before they cast Faye Dunaway, other considerations consisted of Catherine Donahue, uh, Jane Fonda, Goldie Hawn, oh, Goldie or Hawn. Diane Keaton. Oh, I don't see Diane Keaton. No, <laughs> but no, Diane Keaton is like strong, powerful feminist. Even back then, like I don't see her. You know, Faye Dunaway practically for most of this movie was like, Personally, I think Faye Dunaway did a great job in this movie. Like, she played what she was supposed to play. Not, she didn't like, no, she didn't break any molds. Yeah. But she also didn't go over the top with it. I think it was consistent. I think some of the scenes she did. Really? Yeah, like her screaming, Donald! Donald running! Like, it... The choice of the camera work between, like, her frantically running with, like, the echo and, like, it almost looked like, like, stutter motion. I hated that. I absolutely hated that. Oh, you loved it, didn't you? I pretty much love all the visual styles of the the 70s and 80s. I didn't like that. Here's another, here's another painful one. Yeah. Uh... 
another person that was originally ta attached to play Laura Mars was Barbara Streisand herself. Well, back in the late 70s, she was gaining a lot of popularity with her music. Maybe doing the lead song, Promises, was what... The, oh, okay, I can't play Laura Mars, but here's my contribution to the movie. I mean, right at the ending, like, big thing, Barbara Streisand, lead song, Promises. Like, yeah. You were like, that's a big deal. To have Barbara Streisand attached to something from the 70s was a huge deal. Yeah. <sighs> I... Um. I will say the thing that I did like about the movie probably was the um, the costuming. I oh, loved yeah. the costuming. The wardrobe throughout this film, like even for the simpler characters, was even the men spot suits, on. Like just the simple. To us, it's retro, but I love that retro style. The the dresses the women wore. The, the fashion that they have, the way they do their hair. I love that. Well, actually, one of my notes here is that they, um, the filmmakers and Carpenter, probably even in the screenplay, like, they took a, they, ugh, they, <laughs> I can't talk today. <laughs> they paid a lot of attention to detail throughout the film. Yes. So, like, every character had specific things that was, like, tailored to their character like the uh tommy lee jones's partner there he wore those fucking purple tinted sunglasses yep it was only him that was for his character and i i like that brad dorf's character always had bell-bottom jeans and a leather jacket yep at all times that was his he was supposed to look like kind of like i don't know kind of like a rebel kind of like a badass like you were kind of questioning the whole time and he had he his never, playing cards yep and he never broke his loyalty ever ever to Laura. I love that. It was beautiful. Even when there was the funeral scene where he was all dressed up, he still had a leather jacket over his outfit. Yes. And I was like, okay, all right. I I really like Brad Dorf's character. I did. That man's never touched... That, anything that man touches is great. He's not the world's greatest actor. He's a great actor. No, but honestly, I would put him up there. Like I would. If, if you've seen some of his bigger scenes in movies... Like the energy and passion he puts into it is captivating I every go, time. I go back to it constantly in Lord of the Rings, in Two Towers, when Grima Wormtongue. 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 When Grima Wormtongue has to convey how serious his position is, but how fucking terrified he is of Saruman. I mean, just watching his face alone tells you everything you need to know and I've always like looked up to that kid, that actor and I'm like that actor is incredible I've never seen anything else he's been in but every time I see him it's like yeah yeah also just a little like input side note speaking of actors that we didn't know were in things but are great actors that should be mentioned in this podcast, we'll never touch the Harry Potter series, unfortunately, because they don't fall into our wheelhouse. But we found out last night we watched the special. Oh, and yeah. we found out who Dobby is played by. And the two of us were like, we didn't know this. Ten years. How many Harry Potters we've seen? I never Dobby thought to look into it. No. Dobby is played by Toby Jones. And if you look up who Toby Jones is, you will instantly go, it's that guy. Now, can't unhear it at all. 
No. But it, it's actors like that. The other roles that those actors, Brad Dorff, Toby Jones, Doug Jones, well, there's are three actors. They're great actors. You know their faces. But they're not like on Hollywood's top ten list. They're on personal top ten list. But that's the thing. Like, this is why, like, actors like that, I make it a point to learn their names. And because find their shit. I appreciate them so much more than I will ever appreciate somebody like Tom Cruise or anybody that's in the or Chris Pratt anybody that's in the fucking limelight you've listed two of Hollywood's assholes well right now right now <laughs> Chris Pratt's on everybody's shit list but apparently but whatever. he's still working <laughs> um, another thing I, before we jump too far past uh, the details back into the movie is uh, I love the fact that they paid attention to, to, like, the cameras. Like, Laura, throughout the movie, uses a variety of different cameras <gasps> when she's doing her photo shoots. Like the camera I just picked up. Yes. Um, but, like, that's an important detail because it sells her as a real photographer. No photographer is only going to use one camera. No. There's one scene where she's seen using a... And I think it was a Kodak camera, like a regular camera that had film in it. Then she had the Polaroid camera that I just bought, which was like the one from the late 60s, early 70s, that you actually had to pull the film out while you were doing it. You still got negatives, but you had to pull these out while you were doing it and be like, okay, this shot looks good. This looks good. I can blow this up. And they actually made you... She made... They made her feel like a real photographer. Yeah. She was constantly checking the lighting. She'd take a photo, adjust that lighting, fix this, do that, do this. Her makeup needs to be brighter. Her lips need to be bolder. Like, she was always... I think Faye Dunaway researched this character very well because when you were a photographer back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you didn't have a digital. Like, now we have DSLRs and mirrorless, which I just need to take that, make sure it's charged and go. The camera that I picked just picked up yesterday at an antique store. By the way, we're going to talk about our tape hunting a little later. We'll do that at the end of this Oh, one. yeah, because <laughs> let me tell you, we... We scored big we scored. this week. But um, for Christmas, I got two older cameras. One from... Um, I think the date on the back of that camera your dad got me was like 1919. Like 1912 to 1919, this camera. The camera that you got me was from... World War, uh, World War Two Germany. Yeah. Um, and the one that I just picked up yesterday at this antique place is a 1965 Polaroid camera, which I'm really starting to get into older cameras, and I want to find everything. I want, I want a bunch of old cameras, and I really do enjoy something about the 1970s newer models of the of the the nice cameras with the for the film. I enjoy seeing them because you can see the jump from the accordion versions to that. She uses both. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, okay, I can get into Laura being an actual photographer because they research, they know their shit. She's got, at one point, you look at that, it was the hood of a hood of a car, I think, where they were looking at stuff. She had like yeah. nine cameras sitting there. Yep. From this little Kodak fucking click and develop to like this big ass accordion camera. I was like, damn. We even uh, we see her shooting on an older Nikon later yes. on. Yep, she's got the. That's it. That was the, it. Was a Nikon. It wasn't a Kodak. 
But I'm looking at it going, that's a really nice new Nikon that she's using, too. Yeah. So she is a very, like, and, and then she's got a dark room, but then she's got the smaller Polaroids. But I'm like, damn, I'm sold on her being a photographer. Not sold on her in anything else, sadly. Well, I mean, at, acting was very different then. You didn't have to, like, deliver Oscar-worthy performances every time. Like, then you could you could phone it in a little bit, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they really attempted to phone anything in in this movie. But, no. sure, it's a little bit weaker. I, it's fine. I mean, it's not... It's not weak to be like, oh, dear God, this is a terrible fucking movie. No. It's more of this kind of mystery, suspense, romance. It's not for me. It's not what keeps me engaged for films. If you're into that, if you like that older style, like, this is perfect. Yeah. I just, I, I lost interest. And I know you saw me lose interest. I was like, gone. Well... Like I said, like this, this movie heavily resembles giallo cinema. Like it does. Ita- the way Italian filmmakers make movies, this movie follows that track beat for beat, and I think that probably doesn't help your viewing experience as somebody who's a more, I'll say, a more modern yeah. viewer. But <clears throat> I do have to say, for giallo, the beyond, and. Suspiria, I love those movies. Well, that's I al- love them, but they're different types of movies. That's also Italian horror. Yeah, this is more of an like, it's not Italian, it's but Ita- it, it feels like an yeah. Italian thriller, which is it. Their thrillers and action stuff does resemble Giallo, but it's not. It, there's a difference. There's mm. a clear divide. It's more the filmmaking, not the storytelling. That exactly. You're about. Okay. Um, pretty early on in this one, we get a little bit of a revelation. It's actually right around the time that Laura is brought in for questioning. Um, she meets up with Tommy Lee Jones for the second time. Who I think name, no, Brad Dorf's character was Tommy. Yeah. I don't know what Tommy Lee Jones' character is. I forgot his name. Uh, we'll just call him, um, Detective. Detective, yeah. But, uh, and he shows her, he's like, oh, well, a lot of your photography resembles crime scenes that are that unsolved. never been released. We've never shown people the photos for these, and they are pretty identical. Yeah. The description of the photo that I was talking about is one of the photos that he presents her. Right. And that, like, seeing that, it beg the question it's like how long has she been having these visions uh, like did they start as just little images and then move to what we eventually see is full on looking through the eyes of a killer yeah like she mentions that uh these these like images that kept coming to her started about 2 years ago at the time of this movie and it seems that from what donald was talking about it's been a good two years, kid, or something like that. There was that line. I don't know if it was completely presented like that, but there was mention that it's been a good two years, to which you see that where her gift started has actually brought about 
her success. Because it was her, like an artist, any artist, you and I know it. A lot of people won't understand it talking about it. But when you are a creative person, when you are an artistic person, you get something in your head and it will not leave. You have to actually project it out. Whether you write it down, you photograph it, you create it in an art piece, you film it. You've got to get it out. It gets out to make room for the other shit that comes back in. <laughs> so it's one of those things where was she like, I'm going to photograph this to get it out of my mind so it'll leave me alone. But unfortunately, the gift progressed into moving images rather than quick images. Yeah. You know something else I really like about this movie? They never try to explain where her gift came nope, from. never. They never touch upon it. And what's stunning is Tommy Lee Jones and her have a conversation in the in the precinct. And she tells him, yeah, I, I see this. I, I have these visions, these nightmares of what is going to happen. And, you know, it's happening to my friends. It's happening to people I love. And he doesn't question it. He's like, okay, cool. Let's figure well, this out. I'm like... Wouldn't you question this so, lady's crazy? There is some hesitance. Like, because you can't present an idea like that and not have people be like, what? Okay, there was <laughs> like maybe a 10 second hesitance. But his absolute love for her or love at first sight thing that yeah. is growing kind of takes forefront and is like, okay, cool. I'll believe her. Like, well, what? I think at first he's presenting it to her like he's taking in the information and kind of trying not to treat her like she's crazy because then like in a scene after their little chat he's talking to his like partner and another cop and he's like what you don't believe her and then they all kind of have a laugh i mean so i think that's that that was fine but he just jumps into it like he does kind of just take it in stride as the movie goes which I think it's an interesting approach because then it's like his character is trying to be sympathetic to her. I would have liked to have seen that turnaround where people are like, you're not seeing this. What's wrong? You're crazy. To then make her a little bit more feeling isolated and alone. I feel like that's what a killer would have done. Well, I think if they were doing this movie today, they definitely would have done yeah, that. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, there were little things that normal horror or thriller or even action movies where I'd be like that's not how I do that. And I think that's where it took me out because there were quite a few scenes that I was like, oh, this, this scene's kind of boring. It's also another thing that you would see in an Italian film. Really? You got to show me more a, of these Italian films. A char characters tend to just, because they're just servicing the narrative most of the time. Mm. So like characters will just present, hey, I have this ability and other characters will be like, okay. <laughs> Not in that cartoonish way. It's very but... mysteriously supportive of you. Yeah. Like, it just happens. Excuse me? They do it to get the plot moving. And I, I understand, but... No, kink the plot. Kink the damn plot. <laughs> um, We also get something that we don't see in a lot of these, like, through the eyes of the killer type of movies. Which, there aren't a lot of these things. Like, <laughs> Sorry, we've seen two now, and the first one was a lot better than this one. <laughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Which, we get, like you were just saying, we get an actual attempt to uh, explain, that Laura tries to explain how these visions work. Yeah. And I love that she does it 
by using a camera. Yes. She uses a film camera where she sets it up. It's this big old hunky do what I would describe as a a news channel 10 camera hooked up to an old fashioned TV. And she was like, this is what I see. And it's her back to the camera as you can see the TV. And it's weird because then Tommy Lee Jones's character comes in front of it and does like fixes his hair, looks at himself, but never looks straight at the camera. He always looks at the TV. It's like he doesn't want to look at himself, or he doesn't want to look it's himself in the clues. eyes. That was my first clue that I'm like, excuse me, Mr. Jones. <laughs> Like, they divert it to all the other men in the show. They do like, a good oh, job. They do. They they do a good job of red herring. No, look over here. Look over here. Don't look over here. Look over here. Well, before I touch on that, um, in a lot of ways, I feel like they use cameras really well throughout this movie mm. um, as a metaphor for Laura's eyes. Yeah. Like... Through each of her lenses is how she experiences the world. So I thought that whole this whole explanation sequence was beautiful. And almost that. all of her, the beginning of the visions that she's having happens when she's in the lens of a camera. Yes. So like it, she's seeing the real world, but the minute her eye touches that camera, it triggers her gift, and it's like, no, no, you're gonna look at. What I want you to see through my viewfinder, not through yours. And it's yes. like, what the fuck? Um, and to re-come back to shifting the focus of the, um, no pun intended, of the, uh, <laughs> who you, like, they do a really good job, like, trying to get you to think, oh, this might be the killer, that might be the Donald's killer. Donald's the killer. Tommy's the killer. For me... All, throughout most of the movie, my focus was on Donald. Because Donald is acting weird. Yes. But by the end, you're just realizing but, that may he, maybe he's just a very confused human being in a very strange world. Yes, definitely. For a lot of the details for me that stood out was like, he wears a similar jacket to the, the one we see the killer in. Yes. And like the killer's sleeves. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's that stood out to me. I was like, maybe it's Donald. And then, like, they would do these shots. Like, one uh, prominent one was, like, after the funeral. Where, like, they linger on Donald. And you see, like, like for just a little too li- long. Yeah, they linger on him a, a, quite a few times. And, uh, like, it just kept drawing me to, like, he's... I feel like it's going to be him. And then that gets dashed when he just becomes another victim. <laughs> but... Well, the scene that really got me was her, Donald, and Tommy are going back to what is her office, which looks like it's on a barge, or it's on, like, a docked barge. Which, by the way, really cool place for a photography office. Oh, I love that a office. A fucking huge empty barge. That's great. Big studio. It was awesome. Um, And they let Donald out of the car, and Donald looks at Tommy and goes, you better get the flowers from the right place. Do you know what you're doing? He gets very low and quiet. And then we see a scene where it's him alone and they're back. And um, Laura and Tommy are backing out of there. And he's smoking a cigarette way too long and lingering way too long and then walks away. Yeah. And that whole scene where she's seeing somebody coming after her and like somebody's coming to her door. I honestly do think her gift was showing her Donald walking around. 
because I believe her gift is subconsciously showing her people that have the intentions to do bad or to do harm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So what if Donald was very frustrated with her, very aggravated because she had stopped a photo shoot the day prior. They had a photo shoot to work on that day. They have all this police, these police covering, making sure everything's safe because there's been a couple of deaths. First, her um, editor of her book, then her actual agent for the um, photography studio gets murdered. Mind you, there's a subplot about her ex-husband living with that um, agent. Yeah. Which, that's, um, Raul Julian. Did I guess? Julia. Raul Julia. That's where he is. And they they literally make you believe he is the one. They may, they convince you. I was convinced for a little while. I was like, oh, he's the killer. They do just enough, like, Suspicious. additional shots of him. Like, and... he was living with the agent. All of his clothes are there. Everything he has. He's Laura's ex. He had to have killed her. And he's like, I have nothing. Everything I have is there. I just need help. That one was just too obvious for me. It was too obvious, but it was just enough to throw you off. Because in one of the scenes with the two of them, uh, one of the scenes with him and Laura, he like had me convinced that he was a bad guy because he was very belittling. He was very womanizing. But I'm also like, it's too much. It's too yeah. much. This, he can't be. It's too much. The movie's trying too hard to be like, this is the bad, this is the bad guy. But by the end, you're like, this poor son of a bitch just really just needed like help getting back on his feet after getting divorced and he divorced her two years prior when she started getting big and he started failing there was a mention about him failing oh he was he he's a writer he was a writer he became an alcoholic and he couldn't write with her anymore because her success was bothering him yeah and i was like oh what a dick thing what a dick yeah it's it's I don't know. Like, I get what they were trying to do, but... Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't until, I have to say, the lovemaking scene, <laughs> um, which I made a pun, sex and furry, because they were rolling around in fur coats. Jesus. Come on, it was funny! <laughs> Throwback to our third episode. Um, Like, that's when I was like, okay... How long have you guys known each other? How many days? 
This woman is probably lonely, very scared, very much vulnerable. And he just goes, oh, I love you. Let me swoop you into my arms. I'm like, I'm a little suspicious. Just a little suspicious here. So, I don't know. That's when really I started going, um, excuse me, movie? Excuse me! <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so let's take a look at this in terms of our red herrings, our, our suspects throughout yes. this movie. So you have the detective. He's obviously going to be one. Yep. The hus- the ex-husband. Yep. Um, Tommy, the driver. Yep. And then... Uh, Donald. Donald. The, her, whatever he is. The producer They also guy. were holding back some of the girls, too, at one point. Yes, but I'm, I'm just talking like the major guys. Yeah. But... I feel like they do a really good job with keeping the killer's identity a complete mystery. Mm-hmm. Like, even in the final moments, like they're picking these people off the list one by one. But even in that, the last possible second, they don't you make don't, it obvious. You don't know who's coming out of that fucking elevator. No, they keep the camera work and editing quick and sharp, so you don't know what just happened. You know what happened, but you don't know who it was. The only thing that sort of gave it away for me was the hair. And it was a split second scene. And my eyes were in the right spot. I went, oh! It wasn't the hair for me. It wasn't? What was it for you? The sleeves. It was the sleeves for you? It was the sleeves because uh, the ex-husband was wearing a brown jacket. Tommy Lee Jones was wearing gray. gray. But to (laughs) me, it was like... If you watch this movie maybe three or four more times, something else would get your eye. Oh, yeah. To where, like, oh, no, I knew it was him from the hair. No, it wasn't the hair. It wasn't the hair. Well, it was the, the thing, sleeves. Oh, no, it was, like, the shoes. You're meant to be looking it's at like the these face. Little, yeah, you want to look so, at the face. If you look somewhere else on the screen, I mean, I've learned that from you. But when you watch, when I'm watching films now, like, I, there are films I watch numerous times. I focus on something completely new every time now. Especially on repeat viewings. You always want to look at something you wouldn't normally look at. Like, oh my god. Like, I've watched... What's one of my favorite films I throw on just for shits and giggles? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Always. I throw that movie on constantly. I must have abused my DVD copy of that movie. I don't own it anymore. I sold it a long time ago. I have blue right now. I watch that so much that every time I focus on a different character for the whole film. The other characters, I don't watch. When that character's on the screen, I pay attention to everything. And I, every time there's something brand new. Especially with, uh, what are the other movies? Hero? Hero's a good one. If you, because there's so many characters in Hero. Um, House of Flying Daggers. There's quite a few characters to focus on that. Um, any of those, like, visually amazing films. Watch them multiple times. Focus on different stuff. Um... Even when we watched Event Horizon, you focused on other things in that movie rather than, like, what you usually have, and you gained a new perspective of it. Yeah. Still uh, not a great movie. No. But, you know. <laughs> um, I also feel like the reveal of the killer is done in a way that, well, it's not the standard way you would expect. No. Like, instead, you, instead of just, like, oh, this is who the killer is. You get this incredible performance from Tommy Lee Jones. Holy shit. Absolutely incredible. And fun fact about that, 
he actually wrote his own monologue for that. He wrote that monologue? Unbeknownst to the Writers Guild. So he's not credited for it. He wrote that monologue himself. And it is fucking powerful as all hell. (laughs) It's terrifying. So, okay. I want to break down this whole end scene. Yeah. So it starts with the ex... It starts with Tommy Lee Jones' character going to the apartment. Yes. And I I, I think he's going there because he's like, we got Tommy. We're all done. We're good. Said he was going to take her away. We're going to take you away. Clue number one. I'm watching my voice. I'm watching it. I'm not going crazy. I'm not going to blow anybody's eardrums. So we see him show up, get in the elevator, and then we see the ex-husband. He's in the elevator, too. Elevator door closes, and then she has a, a vision. And all you see is two men fighting, one getting stabbed and the other getting out. The next thing you hear is just pounding on her fucking door. Pounding. And she's like, no, no, go away, go away. It's silent. And then Tommy Lee Jones fucking jumps through her balcony window. Well, I think he, like, smashes it. And oh, yeah, he through. jumps to the balcony and smashes her window. And he's like, no, no, it's all right. He's like, there's no one out there. There's no one out there. There are, there are. And already he's deflecting, like, no, 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 nothing's wrong. I just got here. What's going on? What's happening? And she was talking about, like, oh, my God. So my ex-husband was stabbed. He was stabbed in the elevator. He's like, there was no one in the elevator. There was no one there. He's like, what do you, I mean, and she's calming down and she's getting okay. And we're like, yeah, we got it. It was Tommy. She's like, wait, Tommy? No. Tommy's not. No. Well, it's, I think the thing that really clues it is he starts to deliver her this backstory. Of Tommy. And she's like, that's not Tommy. I know Tommy's story. Yeah. And then slowly goes from he, him, he, him to me, I, me, I. And it confused me, but I'll stay confused because it was good. And it looks like this man has split personality disorder to where this nasty murderer takes over and his eyes become famous Tommy Lee Jones. I don't give a fuck face. And he just stone cold starts going after her. And I'm like, oh, God. And I don't remember how it got to the point of like the bedroom and he barges in and all of that. I think she can see him through her eyes. She's seeing herself through his eyes yep that's right coming at her yep so she goes in the bedroom she hides and then these mirrors come into play where it snaps him out of being the murderer and goes back to the detective yeah it's in this scene where you start to see like he has like this kind of almost like a split personality he even said like why did you shoot Tommy why did you kill Tommy he was sick like he needed help he's sick I feel like that scene was a cry for help for him like he's sick there's something wrong why would you do this Yeah. like it was the detective's way of saying there's something wrong with me I don't know how to stop this like it was it was boring up until that moment and I went oh and then the symbolism of him stabbing the mirror and where eye. he stabbed was where his eye was. And he stabs it several times and he just goes to her and he's like, kill me. If you love me, kill me. If you love me, kill me, kill him, kill me, you kill him. And I'm like, what the fuck? It was a very symbolic and powerful ending. I thought it was really cool. That was Carpenter-esque. Yes. Just the way that scene was written in the symbolism, that was very Carpenter. And it was also 
very telling of that character. It's like he, there was still a good person in there. He was fighting the entire time. Yeah. At the beginning, he was like, "Oh, this artist, uh, this artist is bullshit. This is why would you glorify violence?" But after he meets her and he gets to know her, she's a different person. Now this man who has like this disorder is fighting himself because he's fallen for her but he goes she goes against everything he stands for plays right back into that gut feeling I got at the beginning of fracture there's something like that moment where it's like oh this world feels broken yep because it's his yeah like his he is broken so and like you're seeing half of this these events through his eyes yeah so it's and she unfortunately just has a gift to where she can tap into that yes and that's how he eventually finds her i feel like maybe the scenes that this is my idea for prequel like what happened prior is when her photography started to get bigger he started seeing his murders in her work and he slowly found her and pushed his way into her life with the intent of killing her all along but didn't realize he was going to fall in love with the simple classy person that she is like that's where my mind was going like he's been following her ever since her work got big because it's his crime scenes because he's a cop they're un- they're unsolved because he's the one doing them he's the detective he can make them go cold if he lo- if he yeah. wants like this man was methodical in what he was doing. So this story's a lot bigger than just it's, this. It's fucking layered. It is. Like it is very layered. I think Carpenter did a great job writing this. Yes. But I think I would have liked to have seen Carpenter direct this too. I would have loved to see this. This is version. not his usual wheelhouse, so he wouldn't have done it. No. There is no amount of cigarettes or alcohol you could have paid this man and to do this one. Uh to be fair, because I don't want to be one of those guys who only attributes this to John Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, he worked with David Goodman. The two of them worked together to make this story a very complex yeah. and pretty powerful one. I, I Yeah. And I think wow. the director towards the end saw the vision really well. Because in the end, the scenes that are played out are the director's vision. Yes. Are the cat are the crew's vision, and they did a really good job of it. I would like to see what Carpenter wrote to see the difference between the two, because obviously written by or story by John Carpenter is going to look a lot different on paper than it will on screen because you have another director translating the material. Yeah. Which I mean. So I think I'm wondering if um. What? I didn't finish my word. Before oh, I'm started. sorry. Fascinating. I'm wondering if um I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> he did. Don't lie to me. No, I really didn't. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh Car- so Carpenter wrote the story, the original story. I wonder if uh Goodman actually kind of took that and adapted it, and then maybe consulted with Carpenter just to iron out details. It's possible. Um. Funnily enough, uh, I'm not the only one who would call this a Jallo-esque film. Oh, really? Do a lot of people call it Jallo-esque? Oh, I guess it's. this is said to be an American example of 
Italian giallo. Wow, do you know your films? Wow. Maybe a little. <laughs> um, one last little thing I'd like to touch on is the fact that this movie ends by freeze framing on Laura's face. Yep. Um, it shifts us back into black and white slowly, and we kind of come full circle to the opening image. I mean, this man that she fell in love with took away her support system. Everyone's gone. Like, she has maybe a two out of the uh, three out of the five girls that she worked with. Yep. Tommy, Don, they're both gone. Her ex-husband's gone. Even though they didn't have the best relationship, it seemed like they could still talk to each other. Yeah. Her publicist is gone. Her editor's gone. Though her friend from the gallery's gone. Like, this man took everything away from her. He even pretty much took the love of her life away from her. So what, where, do, where do you go from there? Like, where is this woman supposed to go? She's broken, just like he was. Yep. So now, is it possible that she's going to use her gift for bad? If she even still has it. Yeah. What if killing him severed the gift, which would be great for her sanity, not so much for her career. Her career is pretty much done now. Yeah. It's bad to say that pain feels art, but it's kind of true. It's very true. It's painfully true. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any more notes in terms of... No, I, I do not have any more notes. Uh, I guess we'll, we're shifting into closing questions. Yeah. What were your overall thoughts? It was a boring film in my eyes. I can appreciate the direction that the filmmaking was. I can very much appreciate the photography in the movie, but it just, it was kind of boring to me. So I would say uh, it's an okay film. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm, as we've, talked about many times I'm a huge fan of 70s and 80s cinema so personally I really enjoyed the movie I also like slow burn stories so the like slower the better for you this one I think was paced nice and gradually it pulled drew out the suspense and really took its time diverting your attention yeah uh, so it was hard to concretely guess who was going to be the killer um, nowadays going into something like this it's hard because it's like oh it's going to be the person you shouldn't expect so Tommy Lee Jones but yep. <laughs> um, it is what it is there wasn't a formula back then there is definitely a formula now yeah. and I think they did a really good job telling this story mm. um, it's got a deep enough plot it's layered enough to where you can really kind of look into the meanings behind certain choices I very much enjoy it mm. did you have any favorites I have a favorite line and I think we both have this uh, favorite probably line probably the same one damn it <laughs> we'll save you a piece of cake you're a piece of cake <laughs> Brad uh, Dorf Brad Dorf why is that funny it's the way he delivered it. <laughs> You're a piece of cake. Because the guy's like, hey, Tommy, we'll save you a piece of cake. While right? shutting the door He's on like, him. Like, You're a piece of cake. And then you see how pissed it made him. <laughs> Let the fuck. 
fucking kid in and hang out. What? That was that was where I was like, Donald is a douche. Well, the thing that bothered me the most, I think, about this, which, all right, we're breaking our questions a little bit, but whatever. The thing that bothered me the most was the fact that Tommy's character was treated so poorly. Like, I get it, it was the 70s, and he had a colorful past, Mm. but you guys have been working with Tommy for at least two years. Yep. And you just, you treat him as if he's a second-class citizen. Like, the poor guy, he's very loyal to Laura, he does whatever she needs, and he's just treated like garbage. Like... I don't know. It just it. it I mean, I think me. it was only Donald that treated him like garbage. Saw him as a second-rate person because, oh, yeah. you have a felony. You're a terrible person. Why'd you hire him? Yeah. Why well, did you <laughs> Why did you hire him if you're gonna be look at Laura and be like he has a CD past? Who cares? And wait two years and Laura pretty much goes, I'm shocked, but I don't care. Like she yeah. literally looks at him and goes, I'm shocked, but I don't care. Let's not talk about it anymore. It's yeah. fine, Tommy. Like, Everyone deserves a chance. That's what this movie was saying, too, very subtly. Everybody deserves a chance, even the killer. Yeah. She gave him a chance at the end, and he said, nope, you got to get rid of me. I love you, but could kill you at any second. And that's like, well, okay. Yeah. Everyone deserves that. I don't know. Like, I felt like his character deserved better. Uh, Did it work? Does it work? Yeah, it does. Even though I thought it was boring, my opinion shouldn't color other people's. It just wasn't my kind of movie. I still think it does work. It's got a great cast. It's got a great plot. It also has beautiful like camera work. Beautiful. And there's a reason why you love Italian-style cinema. It is great. It's unexpected. It's not American cinema. It's not stationary. It's not flat. It has dimension to it. I'm learning to appreciate it more, but I've only seen two Italian cinema pieces. They were horror. Four. What are the other ones that I've seen? You've seen at this well, point. You've seen the Beyond, including this. You've uh, you've seen this pieces, the Beyond, and Suspiria. Oh, I keep forgetting pieces is an Italian style horror, yeah. but there's just a different way that they present themselves. I it does work doesn't work for me it's gonna work for other people so it does work um obviously I it works for me um I think it's a really well crafted movie uh again though like you said it's not gonna be for everybody a lot of people probably wouldn't be able to sit through this um but those who who enjoy this those who can make it through this I think will gain something from it. Yeah. It also showcases a lot of great photography. Yeah. Like, we only see it in quick bursts, quick moments, but it's really good. It's not no, it's not all titties and ass. No. There are some beautiful headshots. There are some beautiful, like, imagery of what she's trying to tell. And there's, like, a split... There's like a split fracture in almost all of her photography. Yeah. To where look how beautiful this is, but look how grotesque. Look how lovely this woman is, but you're distracted by the image behind the woman too, which is still the woman that is being... Yeah. It's, it's weird. That picture was my favorite. It's There's a duality. Yeah. Like, there's 
elements of duality. It's telling you, literally her photography from the beginning was telling you this was a fractured story. It told you exactly what they were giving you in the first maybe 90 seconds with the first image. Yeah. That whole movie right there is based off that image. It's going to be, it's not going to be what you expect and it's going to flip very, very slowly. But once you see it, you're going to be shocked. Would you recommend it? I would. I would actually recommend this. I re- would recommend this probably to uh, a lot of a lot of older people. Our generation might not, but like I don't know, maybe people that are like five, ten years older than me, they might appreciate this. People who appreciate the '70s, this was very, very cool. I loved the jaywalking in New York. I loved the people parked anywhere they felt like it. I loved the garbage all over the place. I was like, ah, New York City. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. I would definitely recommend it. Um, I basically recommend anything that Carpenter touches. Uh, but this one in particular, like I, I really think he had something special it's with this story. Different. It's different from the other things that we've presented. The fog. That's Carpenter. Yeah. Very different from that. Um, I think if you have an interest in photography in any way this might be a nice movie for you mm-hmm. um obviously if you're a fan of 70s cinema definitely check this out if you like giallo mm-hmm. or italian cinema in any way check this out it's like very Faye reminiscent Dunaway, brad Dorf, the dude from star trek <laughs> if you like anybody tommy in this lee cast, jones like you want to see tommy lee jones not in men in black you want to see tommy lee jones play a bad guy that's not that man can play often. a bad guy. I mean, he was a bad guy technically in The Fugitive. Uh, same thing. It was kind of a sort of. I, it depends on which perspective you're looking at that movie from. Honestly, we I should love, cover that. At some I point. love that movie. I know I own it. It's in the uh, Star Unit. <laughs> I love The Fugitive. I have never seen it all the way through. I've always caught blips and pieces on TV. It's always. a good one. Because my favorite line, one of my favorite lines is, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Like that right there, whole movie. (laughs) And that to me paints Tommy Lee Jones as a bad guy. Yeah. But it depends on what, if you're looking at, okay, focus the whole movie on Harrison's perspective. Then he's a bad guy. Focus it on Tommy's. Then Harrison is the bad guy. Like it's really weird. I always watch that one as like, they're both good guys, but they're misled. Yeah. So, yep. Oh, we're um, covering that one. Ooh. Before I like we, I actually didn't mention this before. Like we talked about the favorite line, but I also have a favorite scene, and that's my favorite scene is the uh, her trying to explain the the visions to. Tom, I saw your Tom face when she was doing that. You that, were like, that scene was so powerful. It's yeah. so telling, and it's something that these movies just don't do. Like, I thought it was really cool. It was nice to see a character be like, no, I'm not crazy. This is how I'm seeing it. I'm getting first person perspective. So I'm literally feeling like I'm, I'm, it's as if I'm killing the person. Yeah. And it's slowly killing her inside every time someone new dies. Agreed. Do you think this deserves a remake? No. Somebody won't do it right. Well, 
Yeah, like imagine this movie be, trying to be done with like digital photography. No, it's I don't not think the it, same. I don't think it would work. No, I think it would be incredible if it was a remake, but still set in the seventies. Yeah, I I agree with that. With the nostalgia yeah. era right now, I think that a lot of younger actors now would be really good to play in some of these parts. Um. I don't know names. I'm not really big on a lot of the newer actors. But, I mean, I would love to see a refresh. Like, I would like to see this refresh. This could be really big. Instead of focusing on photography, focus on a different art form. You know you know who might be good in this? Hmm. Um, two actresses that come off the top of my head. Hmm. Uh, would be... If you were to cast... Uh, I, can't, I don't remember their names. Describe her. Maybe I know her. So, the girl from The Witch. Oh, um, Anna Joy Taylor. Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, That's what it is. We were close. Uh, if you cast her as one of the models. Oh. And then, if you, in the role of Laura Mars, if you put somebody like the girl from It Follows. I don't know. I don't know her name. I don't know that movie. But, I th- or actually... Oh no, Jocelyn Donahue's kind of getting a little too old. To... Oh no. Yeah, but Faye Dunaway looked yeah, like she, she was, was like older. in her 30s or 40s. So, yeah. Jocelyn Donahue. I don't know who that is. Uh, the girl from House of the Devil. The main okay. girl. Okay. If All you right. cast her as Laura Mars, mm. I think that would be a great pair. And actually put the other, the girl from It Follows as one of the other models. Like the two main models. Mm. Her and Anya Taylor Joy. Do you know who I painfully would like to see as Tommy Lee Jones' character? Because he is a good switch actor like that. Benedict Cumberbatch. Or uh, or Adam Driver. I'd like Adam Driver. Adam Driver has one hell of a delivery for good guy versus bad guy. Yeah. I mean, I've only gotten through what I would say 45 to 50% of Marriage Story. <laughs> because I couldn't do it, guys. I couldn't. It was oh, a little too close to home, that movie. That one's fucking strong. <clears throat> but even him in that movie still reminded me a tad about Ky- of Kylo Ren because Kylo Ren is all rage. Just yeah. nothing but anger. But Adam Driver, I mean, I've seen some of uh, the sh- series Girls that he was in. Same type of character. Adam Driver is such a gentle giant. But he literally is our generation's Harrison Ford. He thinks exactly like Harrison. He is yeah. our generation's Harrison. So I think he would do so well with that intent. I want. I would like to see that scene, that end scene, more intense. To him being like having a fight with himself in turn. Like screaming. Oh and my shit. god! It would have it. The way they did it in this movie is fine. But if they were ever to like refresh it and just do it more modern but keep it 70s make it more intense i would like to see this more that's probably where i was too bored there was intensity it was very it was 70s it was very mellow for a mystery i want more intensity i can definitely agree with that so this brings us to our ultimate question is this mainstream exploitation or other mainstream this is very mainstream, I believe. Even though it's a rated R movie, it's still a love story. It's still murder. It's still suspense. There's nothing in here that would say exploitation to me. I mean, sure, there was 
topless ladies, but I also think that was just like for the drive of the photography and for the, oh, look, come see this movie. They're naked ladies. Like it, it, sex sells. We all know that people, but like, no, this is mainstream. I don't completely agree. Ooh. I would not call this exploitation. It doesn't have uh, enough elements to like really push it over that edge. Mm. But I also don't think this is mainstream. I would call- classify this in the other. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I think this kind of like it play it's more closer to an Italian giallo film than it would be like a like a regular thriller like mm. mystery thriller um I, yeah i think this just sits somewhere in between cuz they wouldn't have played this at a grindhouse they might have really yeah i mean this could have easily played in a grindhouse okay but i don't think it would be it's not an exploitation film no. It would just be something that played. Okay. Do you have any other thoughts? Anything else you want to share? About the film? No. I think I'm good on the film. So what else do you want to talk about? So. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, I keep coughing. It's not COVID, by the way. <laughs> We're filming this in the midst of. We're on the brink of another out. Like yeah, outbreak, a, a big down. wave shut down. My work got shut down, unfortunately, this week. <sighs> you, yours isn't shut down, but, but it's, it's imminent. It's, it's a mess. Uh, we just had a major snowstorm, which was like what six, maybe seven inches. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. We live in New England, and everything gets like practically shut down with six or seven inches now. Like. It's like 2010, we had a snowstorm where everybody got let out at 3 o'clock. And like the blizzard of 78, or no, it wasn't 2010. It was earlier than that. It was like between 2006 and 2009. I can't remember. I was at my very old job. It took me, I went from somewhere like right, right near here, like right off on the other road, the big major road, to where I lived in West Warwick. And it took me almost two hours to get there. There were still high school students on buses. I got out of work at 5. I didn't get home till like 6.37. There were still kids on buses from 1 o'clock in the afternoon still trapped. So ever since then, the state has been very terrified. Yeah. So, but we just, it's it's been a hell, and it's only November, it's only November, uh, no, it's January 9th. Shit just started blowing up since the 1st. <laughs> it has been heck. Yeah. But with that, both of us have been home for a few days. Both of us together, with me out of work for a few days, and then I took a vacation for two days. We decided that we were going to go find tapes. So we went to our usual haunt, which is a Goodwill. We haven't been going to our savers because they've been kind of lackluster on. Oh, they haven't really had shit. No, they've had a lot of Disney, which I don't know what Disney I have, and I don't want to buy more Disney. Yeah. So I have a lot of the mainstream shit, so I have to be careful. Um, so we ended up finding a little, not, it's not a little place. It's a very big place here. We're not saying where it is because we, we don't want people to go there, no, <laughs> but it is, this a, is our spot. It's our it. place. Damn it. <laughs> but we, I scored a really nice camera, very nice camera since I'm collecting older cameras now. And Sean, 
scored some of the... Uh, I think it was 25... 25 VHS. VHSs for about $100. All horror. All all of them. And I even snagged two Grindhouse, actual Grindhouse exploitation films. Yeah. One of them's Linda Carter topless. <laughs> like, I didn't notice that until after I picked it up and I went, oh, hell yeah. I don't want to see Linda Carter's boobs. I'm just excited that I've heard about this film. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's sitting here. Well, that's... the. The thing with uh, collecting VHS is that, it, and for those of you who out there who understand understand the struggle, you if you collect tapes too, horror is so hard to come by. It is unless you're looking online, like if you're going out to Goodwills trying to find horror movies and shit or thrift stores, they're gonna be few and far between. This was a fucking treasure trove. This was. <laughs> like four shelves of me going hey sweetie what's this what's this and all I heard was him go oh no he just looked at me and went shippy we got a problem <laughs> yeah I turned the corner and was like look at all these tapes and you're like no I have never once spent a, like anywhere close to a hundred dollars on a haul of VHS this was a fucking haul this we 25 tapes all at once is a lot and I honestly want to go back and buy the rest because there's so many more I, that I couldn't know get. internally you're struggling to look at me and go, get in the car, we're going back. <laughs> Which, it's fine. Maybe we should wait until next week. Just. I, I think I think we should keep to our strict once, once a, month. a month. We only do once a month. And I also, I scored pretty big personally for my personal collection. I, when it was releasing, I used to watch Queer as Folk on Showtime. I love Queer as Folk. I love all those actors. I've kind of followed a lot of it, like Hal Sparks. Um, I've followed Hal Sparks' career, and he kind of, like, fell off. He's a Canadian actor, which is fine. I mean, everybody, you know, to each their own. You don't want to act anymore? Have a good life, sir. Um, but I really like that series. And I used to own it, but unfortunately, you've had this too. We all go through parts in our lives where, like, I have to sell shit to have money because I'm down on my luck. So I sold my entire DVD movie collection, everything except for two films. No, three. Which were the special editions of Lord of the Rings. Those are the only three I didn't sell. Because I bought those right from Walmart, right when they came out back in 2001, 2002, 2003. Um, and I found the entire series of Queer as Folk. Entire series for $20. At a Goodwill. I was like, yes, ma'am! I found a couple of good tapes, too. I don't really remember because the haul you picked up was just even better. We've got a four or five universal horror movies. We got three or four Hammer collection movies. You got all three Darkmans. Yep. Um, did you buy Scanners 2 yesterday? No, I had no. Scanners 2. Psycho 2. Psycho Which two. you were so excited. You are like, I didn't have this. Um, some mo some titles that I'm like I've never heard of this before. Yeah, there was a bunch of that I hadn't even heard of, but they intrigued me so much I had to get them. Like the one one of them that I picked up was a hammer one for a six bucks. It was a little expensive, but I was like, it just intrigued me, and I made sure. And I usually don't pick up anything but like Disney or anything like that. Lately, I've been picking it up. Going 1978 looks a little questionable. Podcast. That's how I'm buying movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something that's in my mind a lot now, too, is, like, I want to get stuff that we can cover here. Yeah. 
I'm gonna pick up stuff that we can't, but yeah, still, like I, I just wanna, I wanna explore more. I mean, I picked up Bram Stoker's The Mummy. Bram Stoker's had a mummy. What? Well, take that with a grain of salt because uh, there's yes. also there's also a Bram Stoker's Van Helsing. I out mean. There. Uh, if Anthony Hopkins not in it, then I'm not interested. It's not Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> They're not all Anthony Hopkins. But yeah, we we got a good haul, and we're really excited because we are been collecting VHS players, and our goal now. They're called VCRs, dear. Look. <laughs> shut up, phone. I don't need shit from you two. But we're picking up um, we're picking up tape players too. And our goal is to get it connected to the TV so we can actually watch this stuff as tapes rather than finding its subscription or, you know, finding the DVD. I've been finding DVD and Blu-rays for stuff to watch. Yeah. But there is one actually over there that is a tape that we are determined to actually watch as a tape. Just like Red Letter Media picks a black spine or picks a random bad movie and physically watches it as tapes. Because we've been getting back into, like, best of the worst for... Shout out to Red Letter Media. Oh, shout out to Red Letter. I am really Oof. sick of the... Uh, uh, noise from the fucking big Backyard Bigfoot movie. Oh, Suburban Sasquatch. Oh, Suburban Sasquatch. <laughs> or if one more fucking Neil Breen movie. Oh, my God. Oh, God, Neil Breen. We can't t- cover them. And I'm so fucking happy we can't. Thank God. But that doesn't mean this man <laughs> sitting in front of me won't be like... So we're going to do a special episode as just Neil Breen. <laughs> I'm going to be like, just so, so dear, I bought all the Neil Breen films. I brought the Neil Breen documentary. And then I get thrown out of the house and I have to live in the car. <laughs> with your stripe. With your fucking life-size stripe. I don't have him yet. Yeah. You're lucky I haven't kicked Joe out yet. No, I'll never kick him with Joe. Joe's pretty cool. I'm actually used to seeing him in the middle of the night when I have to pee now. <laughs> Very used to I'm like, hey, Joe, what's up, buddy? Oh, but that being said... There is really exciting. I mean, they're mainly horror, and I actually like picked up a couple of like non-horror stuff. Are we gonna end up just slowly shifting into a horror podcast? No, I mean, a majority <laughs> of the stuff that we're looking for is kind of supernatural, suspenseful horror. I mean, Grindhouse is gritty, dirty, nasty. There's a grungy. lot of horror in there Grindhouse, is. but a lot of horror is misunderstood. Yes. I loved horror, but I never appreciated horror for what it was, honestly. So I think going into this, we're going to try and shift people's opinions on horror. Be like, hey, like, yeah, we're going to do other movies. I'd love to cover romance, (sighs) like fantasy, (laughs) other things like that. Like one of the ones on our agenda that I'm waiting for either came in or didn't come in and I picked up yesterday is Willow. I really want to cover Willow because it's not a grindhouse film. We know that now. Yeah. But it's a film that people don't talk about. Like, oh, I love The Labyrinth. I love Dark Crystal. Have you ever touched Willow? I've never seen Willow. But I've always wanted to because I've been obsessed with Warwick Davis since he played fucking Wicket in Star Wars as a kid. Like, what? Well, by your same logic, I, I think the Grindhouse exploitation era, like all of those types of films are misunderstood they are and uh, like i think people look at them as just shitty movies but there's a lot of good stuff in them and just because they push the bar and fucking shoved in as much as they could possibly 
put into them and like milk them for everything they were worth people look down on them but mm. I don't think they should like I think there's a lot of good in there yeah. yes there are bad movies in there oh god yeah. but even the worst movies have something noteworthy about yeah. them even people that sit there like oh I hate horror horror is just the top part of the genre there are so many sub parts to horror there's suspense horror where there's no gore no nothing night house was a suspense horror movie there was no gore there was no no, no craziness you know very different from I'm looking up there at other horror that okay from hell from hell was gory fucking Tim Burton-esque nasty kind of movie that's the right one I'm thinking of right Christina Ricci. Oh, that's Sleepy Hollow. I'm thinking of Sleepy yeah, Hollow. Which nope. one? No, from Hell is Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Okay, from Hell is not the one I've seen. Okay. And then you have what I'm seeing here is Faces of the Devil. Faces of Death. Faces of Death. It looks like Devil from here in the glasses. I don't know what those movies are. You were so excited to score those. So the, yeah. Like, that's not... That's going to be in, like, not a lot of people's wheelhouse. <laughs> no. I know it. Those aren't really movies, per se, either. Yeah. They're like, more like collections of violence and there's there's so many different genres of horror so when somebody says oh i hate horror i go well horror's just the top like what what kind of horror do you hate you gory do you hate like um fucking mind trippy like mind trippy horror can be even more fucked up than gore horror in my opinion yeah because you can come out of that movie going i think so differently now i'm fractured i don't know what to do (laughs) there's been a couple of them where i'm like i need a moment (laughs) (laughs) but I think we should wrap this up so it's not too long. Yes. Uh, that brings our discussion of the Eyes of Laura Mars to an end. Boom! Closed. Uh, but don't go anywhere just yet. Stay tuned for the coming attractions. So this next one was a random choice for you. Yes, I went onto the Grindhouse website. It's uh, the Grindhouse database, I yes, believe. Yes, Grindhouse database, and I was looking for a really like top rated, not top rated, but I was looking for something in the fucked up wheelhouse. This is a sexploitation Grindhouse movie. 
I am so excited to see this. I have not read the description. I have not watched the trailer. Neither one of us have. We have avoided looking at the back of that box. Yeah, I've I've never heard of this one. Um, but like to be fair, I've never delved too far into sex exploitation. Um, but I'm intrigued. Uh, it's this one sounds like it. It's like a strange. It's like sex exploitation, supernatural. Yeah, this like one's gonna weird. be weird. But I'm excited because I really wanted something fucked up. I really wanted to find a fucked up kind of movie. And I'm going alphabetical. As you can tell, I started with As Ants in the Darkness. Now I'm at Baba Yaga. I picked other movies too. Um, but after the haul yesterday, I'm not going to need to buy them for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we got some time. <laughs> we definitely have time. But I'm intrigued. Hopefully other people aren't like, what in the fuck? trailer did i just watch because we have no idea what you just watched we didn't we to be fair total transparency i don't think we know if there's a trailer for this yet i'm sure at recording at physically sitting here there probably is we'll probably have to go hunt it down if there's not then i will have put something there yeah at least like some clips or maybe the synopsis or something but oh man i'm so excited obviously you can tell i enjoy weird sexploitation stuff I've always had a fascination about this stuff. I'm not saying I'm a pervert, but I like I like how sex pushes boundaries of anything. Media, any like movies, music, books. I like that pushing the boundary. I've always been very interested in the psychological um kind of going arounds of BDSM. I think it's fucking fascinating. And I think it's one of those things that people don't talk about. And I think that's why sexploitation movies are like, oh, 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 this is, it shouldn't be weird. It's normal. It's part of normal human psychology, normal human behavior, behavior to be intrigued by this shit. So presenting it to people to be like, here, give this a go. You never know. You might absolutely hate it. You might absolutely hate it. We'll see. Or we might look at it and go, <laughs> this is a great film. We did it with Ansu in the Darkness. Yeah, and honestly, it's I think it's more fun to go into these things kind of blind. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, a lot of the picks that I've pulled have been ones that, and, uh, that I've seen before or at least heard of, but like a couple of them I've never seen, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to watch them. Yep. But we're done here today. Yep, we are finished. Uh. Before we go, where can people find you on the internet? You always, like, ram into this, and I'm like, I'm not prepared. Um, am I going to figure out what my name is again? Um, so I have two Instagrams. I have a personal and professional one. My personal one is not what I want to give you. Uh, my professional one is Leah Diana Photography. Um, as of now, I don't have much posted, but I have some of my photography. My personal one, obviously, people, if people find me, people find me. I just post random fucking bullshit <laughs> all the time. Um, I also have a Twitter, uh, but our Twitter here is GrindhouseCast. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're starting to take some more pictures, load some of those up there at this point of recording. Um, 
probably going to be a lot more once you guys are, you know, this far in. Because I think as of right now, this is going to be April. Yeah. So uh, winter will be over. And good God, winter just started two weeks ago and I want it over already. It was 18 <laughs> degrees yesterday. I was freezing my fucking nuts off. I hate it. I hate it, Ted. <laughs> Uh, you could also find us on Discord, where uh, you can chat mo- pretty much always. Always, just with Leah. I always have my Discord. Yep. Um, all the links for everything are going to be down in the description. Um, listen to us, give us five stars wherever you're finding your podcast: Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, yep. Stitcher, wherever you get your morning fix. We'll be there. We are. Um, new episodes come out first thing every Monday morning. Uh, you're listening to the podcast and you'd like a more visual experience subscribe to us on youtube where you can get every single episode in its entirety with video yeah (laughs) yeah um if you like what we're doing and you want to show this show some support uh you can find all that information down below we've got a patreon that uh I think we've worked out some fun little rewards for. Oh, I can't wait to start get them going. Oh my god, it's and uh, if you guys want to help us out with hosting fees and everything, then we can give you stuff in return. Absolutely. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and keep watching. It's seventy, doing the seventies, probably sixties. I'm a terrible person. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.